0: There. Good deal. Well, what a good morning it's already been. Um, so that was my first baptism. And, and I got to say, it's really exciting to be a part of, to to see the the children coming forward and professing Jesus as Lord and Savior, to hear them... Confess that in front of everyone. It's just such a, a wonderful thing to be a part of, and I'm I'm so thankful that I got to be a part of that and share that with Miss Taryn and and with Matt and Aven today. Uh, it was just a great day, and I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not gonna lie; I was a little worried before we did it uh, because we, you you put on the waders in there, and and you worry because if you dip them too far down, that water will come right over into the edge. And I didn't bring a change of clothes. Matt was smart; I wasn't so. Thankfully, the Lord protected me, and and I stayed uh, dry this morning. But that was was a special thing. I love it. Uh, It's just been exciting, guys, around here. If I can kind of step away from what I'm going to talk about this morning. We've had some new young families come and join. We we had um, uh, Angie and Larry and Alicia and the Robertson family in the past couple of weeks and having baptisms. It just makes my heart feel so full, and it shows me. And it proves to me that God is still doing great things here at Fbc troop, and it 's exciting to be a part of them with all of you and so i 'm looking so forward to everything that god 's going to continue to do through this body it 's just exciting. Well, uh, getting back into the uh, the actual sermon today, so just want to again welcome everybody. thank you for joining us in person or if you 're joining us online. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship uh, this morning. We're currently in in a series looking at God's promises and Abraham's faith. We're back in the Old Testament. We're in week three of this series. And as we've been looking at God's promises and Abraham's faith, we've also been making sure that we don't just stick in the Old Testament and just see these Old Testament stories as the only part of the story. We're also making sure that we see how this is fulfilled in Christ and how Christ Jesus is the fullness of these Old Testament shadows. But going back real quick uh, to week one, we remember back in Genesis chapter 12 is where we started. And God called Abraham, Called him, his name was still Abram at the time. I keep going back and forth on that when I mistakenly call him Abraham. He's not Abraham yet, he will be today. But God calls Abram to leave the land of his father and go to a land that he will show him. He says that I'm going to make you into a great nation, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to make you a blessing And he says that all the peoples of the world will be blessed through Abram. And Abram decides, okay, I'm going to go. And the Bible says in uh, chapter 12, verse 4 of Genesis, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. And last week we looked at how Abraham went through the land of Canaan. And then he's going through Canaan and God shows him, this is the land I'm going to give your offspring. So Abraham goes throughout the land. He travels down deeper into Canaan into the Negev desert. And then a famine comes. And Abraham makes the poor decision of going down to Egypt. We know as we read the story some bad decisions happened in Egypt. We're not going to focus on that, but he lies to Pharaoh. God ends up protecting them and delivering them out of Egypt. And then some warring kings from an area come in and they invade the area when Abraham goes back to Canaan. Canaan and Abram split up ways. Uh, Canaan goes and settles near the Jordan Valley Abram goes to the other side, and some enemy kings come into the land. They attack the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, defeat them, and they take his nephew Lot captive. And Lot's a very wealthy man. He's got livestock and riches and servants. He's got all this stuff. Abraham hears word of this and he goes on a rescue mission. And this is Abraham. He's 75, 76 years old at the time, almost, going on a rescue mission against kings. He He gets 318 men, if I'm correct from born in his house who were trained up. They're not his sons. They were servants born in his home. Takes them on a rescue mission. Goes and defeats the other kings, rescues lots, brings them back. All the kings are happy, except the enemy kings, of course, right? And the Lord says to him, which is where we focused, uh, in chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord tells Abram, he says, Fear not. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And then Abram kind of goes straight to... Not that he doesn't believe God, but then he starts asking God, you're talking about reward. Uh, I, I'm more interested in that first, one of the first promises you made me about my heir, my offspring. You keep talking about offspring, yet I have no son. I'm in my late 70s. He says, if, if I don't have a son, this, this man, Eleazar of Damascus, who's a servant born in his home, will be my heir. And God says, that man won't be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. So God has promised him his very own son to be his heir. And if we remember, that is an allusion to Christ being God's own son, who is God the Father's true heir. And Abraham, when he's told this promise, the most important thing, probably in this entire series, which is why I wanted to recap on this. If you can remember one thing out of this entire series, it would be the last verse last week. Fifteen six, when it said that he believed God, Abram believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is pivotal for us, because how are we saved by faith alone in Christ? It's not through our good works, it's not through our deeds, it's not through observing rites and rituals and doing all the things of the signs. It is simply through believing we become children of God. And just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so it is for us when you believe God. It's counted to you as righteousness. And now in this week, what we're going to do is we're going to jump forward a little bit in the text. From chapter 15, we're going to be in chapter uh, 17. And there's three keys that we're going to focus on today. The first thing we're going to talk about is being blameless before God. The second thing is we're going to see this God promised to make Abram's name great. So we're going to see a promised name. And then thirdly, we're going to discuss the sign of the covenant. And so as we go today, uh, keep those three things in mind. But before we uh, jump into our text, I'm going to cover a little bit of background between chapters 15 and 16. Remember last week we left off. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And after this, God tells Abram to go get some animals and, and split them in two and lay them on top of each other and walk through them. It's, a, it's kind of a strange thing for us. We don't really do that. But Abram gets a vision from God where he's told about a future affliction for his offspring. He says that they will be enslaved for 400 years. Any guesses where they'll be enslaved? In Egypt. Where Abraham went and he never should have been, right? God never told Abram to go down to Egypt, but Abram went down to Egypt where he was not supposed to go. God told him to go to Canaan and then he wound up in Egypt because of a famine. And what this kind of shows us is that while God is not going to punish Abram eternally for the sin of going down to Egypt, there are consequences for our actions. When we sin, whenever we choose to do wrong, whenever we choose to disobey God, as believers, we will not be punished eternally for those things. But there are very real consequences to our actions. Make no mistake about that. We're going to see here in a second about another consequence that is still felt today. And so God shows him that his offspring are going to be enslaved for 400 years. Now the good news about God is God can take any one of our mistakes and use it all for his glory and his purposes. And then what happens after this is Abraham, Abram and Sarai, his wife, they start to get impatient with this promise. God said, no, your very own son. And Sarai complains and says, God's closed my womb. And so she gives Abram her servant named Hagar. He says, here, maybe you can have a child with So this is uh, Sarai and Abram. This is human plans trying to bring about the promises of God, and a son is born, and his name is Ishmael. And there's, I could do a whole, we could do a whole series on the problems that come from that poor decision right there. But this is another thing again, where again, Abram's not going to be eternally punished and sent to hell for this sin. But there are very real consequences to this. You can say whenever God explains what kind of man Ishmael will be and how he will be at enmity with everybody else, the consequences of our decisions are very real. Even though we are saved and forgiven and we are new living uh, believers in Christ, that our, consequences, our decisions still have very real consequences that can last for generations. It's another reason why it's important for us to walk as children of light. But Abraham has that son at age 86. So it's been a few years since the promise was originally made, right? God told him to go at age 75. It's been 11 years, and Abraham has finally had a son with the wrong woman. Not with the woman, not with his wife that God had promised. And so another 13 years go by. And this is where we're going to pick up today in chapter 17. Chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Notice the name has changed. As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. I want us to consider first Abraham's age at this point. Abraham is now 99 years old. He was first told to go to the land that God would show him, told he'd become a great nation, God would make his name great, and he would be a blessing to all people at age 75. This is about 24 years difference. Have you ever waited on God for something for 24 years? I get impatient after 24 minutes. I won't lie. But God's timeline's not like ours, is it? He doesn't do things the way we do. And remember, again, when we try to bring about God's plans and God's promises in our own human efforts, the consequences are disastrous. As you go back this week and you read between chapters 15 and 17 and then read a little bit on about Ishmael, you'll see that. The son that was born through the slave woman becomes a complete nuisance, and enemy to the Israel people. These consequences are very bad because they tried to take God's promises and plans into their own hands and bring those about instead of just trusting in God to bring them in his timing. Now also I want to look at uh, verse 2 here when it says uh, that God tells Abram, Walk before me and be blameless. Now this kind of presents a problem. I don't know about anybody else in here, but if is there anybody in the room who has never sinned? It's kind of hard to be blameless when you're guilty of sin, right? You you have blame, you have guilt. So God says to Abram, "Walk before me and be blameless." Uh, God, that's that's kind of impossible. I can't I can't I can't do that. So. How do, we, how do we get around this? God's not going to enter into covenant with someone who's guilty. What's the, what's the solution here? How does God enter into covenant with this man? Because we know in a couple of verses, he enters right into covenant with him. The answer, again, is last week. Chapter 15, verse 6, when Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram is now blameless before God because he believes God's promises. He's blameless before God because he believes. And if we look back in chapter 15, if you want proof of this, God has never, the Bible doesn't say God entered into any covenant with Abram until fifteen, chapter 15, verse 18. God makes the first covenant with Abram. Now, there's been covenants made to Noah. It's a whole other subject. We can talk about that one another time. But, Chapter 15, verse 6 is when we hear that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in 18, God made a covenant to give land to Abram's offspring. And so here again, God's going to enter into another covenant with Abram. And this kind of flies in the face of what we think. If God were to come to us and say, walk before me and be blameless, you might think, well, I need to start cutting a deal with God. I need to figure out how I can... How I can get a little favor in my hand. Can I pay him off? Can I give a bunch of money to a good cause or to the church? Can I go do something? Can I go serve in a bunch of roles? Maybe then God will think I'm blameless. The problem with all the things we do for God is that our sin would still be against us. All the right actions in the world can't take away sin. So let's look again at what Abram, the righteous man, has done. He's been declared righteous by God. Look what Abram does whenever God says, walk before me and be blameless. What's the very next thing the Bible says Abram does? He falls on his face before God. Abram humbles himself. His actions are the opposite of self-righteousness. They're God-righteous. Abram knows that by himself he can't be blameless, so he is falling before the mercy of God. And when he bows himself down, God lifts him up and exalts him. If you want to be made righteous, believe God and trust in his promises. If you want to be blameless before God, fall on your face in humility. And you will be blameless. And he will enter into covenant with you the same way he did Abram. Abram bows down, he humbles himself there in uh, verse 4. And then God lifts him up and exalts him. And he does this, he signifies this by giving him a new name. His name is Abram, but we all know him as Abraham because that's his name for the rest of time, right? So Abram, the name Abram means exalted father, which almost seems a little satirical for a 99-year-old guy without any kids. It almost seems like a bad joke, right? But God gives this man a new name, Abraham, which means means father of a multitude of nations. But what's in a name? Why does this matter? What's... What's the big deal about being given a new name, right? Shakespeare said, "What was it? A rose by internet, a rose by any other name would still would smell just as sweet." Something like that, right? Does it doesn't matter what we call somebody? It does when that name comes from God. If we think about this in our own lives and in, in a human metaphor, when I got married to my wife, my wife had a different last name, right? Her name was Emily Hatcher, but when she came. When she became my bride, she took on a new name because she was my bride. She was my wife. She becomes Emily Glover. And so now whenever she meets people, she says, oh, hi, I'm Emily Glover. And as people meet her, they begin to associate me and her together. It's the same thing for us believers. As Christians, right, we take on the name of Christ. People associate us as the bride of Christ no longer that other person, that old life, but now a new life in Christ. We're associated as being his bride. And another thing, too, when you think about your, your family name, even it, it denotes your lineage, your ancestors, the people you came from, and all of which are things that God is very passionate about, about keeping his story. And God does this throughout Scripture. Where he gives people new names. He does this to Abram and Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Uh, you have Jacob who becomes Israel. And God gives people a new name to signify a new life. To signify a new identity that he has given them with a new purpose that he has given them. Abram got his name, Abram, from his parents. That was the identity And the purpose his parents gave him. But when God renamed him Abraham. That was his new identity. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. But it hasn't even happened yet. But God's already done it. God's given him a new identity. And a new purpose. Simply because he believes in God. And trusts his promises. And again. This whole idea of giving, giving new names is something that we think only happens sometimes in the Old Testament, but we see this all throughout Scripture. Through the prophet Isaiah, he spoke, he said, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth. You're made righteous by faith. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation. As a burning torch, the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. God will call you a new name. In the book of Revelation, John writes to us, uh, to the letters... That the angel tells him to write the churches. There's seven letters written to seven churches in the book of Revelation. And to Pergamum and Philadelphia, the believers are told about receiving a new name. One, to the church at Pergamum, they'll receive a name that no one else knows. Except them and the one who gave it to them. And then the church at Philadelphia, he says that they will have the name of God written on them. I mean, I I, I almost kind of picture like a holy tattoo, but... That may not be what God's talking about there. But what that means is having the name of God written on you, that's who you belong to. It's a new name, a new identity, a new purpose from God given to you, each and every one of us. So if you're ever searching for identity, purpose, who am I? What am I here for? Why would God put me on this earth? What does God want me to do with the rest of my life for our young people? Same thing for our older people. What does God want me to do? Why am I still here? The world cannot tell you your identity. In fact, the world will strip your true identity from you and destroy it. The world cannot give you your purpose. Because the world will use you, abuse you, and spit you out and find the next one looking. The world has nothing to offer us. In identity and purpose. But the identity and purpose that we receive from the Lord as believers is everlasting. The identity of being his child, being his bride, being his beloved. That he died for. That he now lives for. And that you live for him as well in everything that you do. In him we find our true identity and purpose. And we see that God gives that to Abraham. Abraham here and then i want us also to look at this real quick at the sign of the covenant uh, around verse uh, let's start in verse six if you want to throw it up on the screen that notice god already pronounces the covenant here he says i'll make you nations and kings will come from me i will establish i will do all this i will be god you and your offspring these these things don't even exist yet and god's already telling him i'm gonna do all this i bet you anything if god says he's gonna do it it's as good as done so God's already established this covenant. He's made this promise to Abraham. These kings are going to come from him. He's going to be God to him and his offspring. Give him the land of Canaan. And now, after all of that, then God gives them the sign of the covenant. You see, circumcision is a sign of the covenant promise from God. It's not the promise itself. I'm not even going to explain what that is today. Parents, if you have young kids, feel free to explain that at your discretion when you get home. be an interesting conversation over lunch, but I'm joking. Use, Use wisdom there. Anyways, I'm going to say it like this, that it's a process of cutting away. But God did that as a sign after the promise has been given. It's a sign of the promise. Same thing with our baptism today. Whenever whenever Avon and Taryn were up there, the water didn't wash them clean. The water didn't give them new life. The baptism of the water didn't do anything other than allow them to walk in obedience to Christ's command. But what did, it's a sign of what they have become in Christ. That they have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Filled with him, given his Holy Spirit and given his life. A whole new life that they get to live in. It's a sign. And the Jews got this wrong throughout history. They began to trust in the sign of the covenant. They began to trust in their circumcision to save them. I wonder, church, if we ever start to trust in the things we do here to save us instead of trusting in God who makes the promises and believing his promises that those who believe in his son have new life in his name. So he gives them this sign, and again, this isn't just the Old Testament, and this isn't something uh, we see it in, uh, in Romans chapter 2. Paul explains to them, he says that a Jew is one inwardly. In Romans 2, verse 28, I believe we have the slide for this. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. Paul explains right there that it's not about following the rules, As much as it is by being made new and transformed in your heart. Because the physical acts, they don't make you a child of God. Belief makes you a child of God. That enables you to go live out his acts and walk in obedience to him. And back in uh, the Old Testament too, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 4.4, he told the men of Israel, he said, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. A cutting away A separating. It's a sign that you don't belong to this world, that you belong to someone else. It's what it means to be set apart. That's what it means to be holy. We think about something being holy. Being holy just means you are set apart. And in Christ, we are set apart for God. We have been consecrated and set apart for him. And Paul tells us in Colossians, in uh, chapter 2, verse 11. There we go, we got this one here. Paul explains to us that you have been circumcised in him in Christ Jesus circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ which was his death you see the reason we need this is because us trying to cleanse ourselves and go to God and be blameless by ourselves would be like trying to wash a wedding dress with blood stained hands in the mud That's what it would be like if you tried to cleanse yourself before God. Rather than going to him in faith and humility and him cleaning you absolutely perfectly for all time. And so again we see that Christ is the fulfillment of all of these promises given to Abraham. What was in the Old Testament was just a shadow of what we have now that we walk into God made Abraham. He gave him a new name. He did make him into a great nation. He did give him the offspring. He gave him a new identity and a new purpose. And he set him apart from this world and set him apart for himself as his very own child. And so for those of us who do believe, those of us who do trust in the Lord, we ought to humble ourselves before God. And turn away continually from our own self-righteousness. It's constant. Every day we face that struggle. We want to puff ourselves up with pride and ego about the things we do. But we need to turn away from self-righteousness and turn to His righteousness. And live and walk in those things. Again, be set apart from this world. But for those who don't believe, who've never uh, believed in Christ... If you believe today, you will receive all of his promises. The king of the universe, almighty God himself, will enter into covenant with you. And he will become a close friend to you, united to you in a whole new way, giving you an entire new, entirely new identity, an entirely new purpose, setting you apart from this world and making you fully and completely justified in him. That's what happens when we believe and we trust in His promises. And so today as we go, I I want to leave you with that thought. As a believer, what is the identity and purpose that Christ has given to you? What has God, who has God called you to be in Him? What has God called you to do in Him? But for those of you who don't believe, He's calling you to believe in him today and receive all of his promises and all of his blessings in the name of Christ our Lord. Church, will you pray with me?